I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Welcome to the Billboard Charity Podcast. Gary Trust, Billboard's co-director of charts. And hey guys, it's Trevor Anderson, uh, chart manager here at Billboard. Time for another countdown, Trevor. Well, Gary, you know, Gary is really in love with this countdown format. You, you guys saw for the past, uh, if you've been tuning in since, since the beginning, at least a year, Gary never did a countdown. And then he did the one, what was, the first one was what, the 2007, 97? 97 and then 2007, back to back. And look at that. All of a sudden, you know, he's got that, he's got... The one we did for 96. Got a got couple more plans. This one, exactly. Well, Gary's a countdown fiend. Well, yeah, I, I grew up listening to Casey Kasem and all the countdowns. Did a, a countdown in college, so um, this is the one thing I know how to do. Were you a fan of, like, the, the count on Sesame Street? Was that your man growing up? I remember him, but I don't think that that was the reason that I got into this. He, he didn't, didn't count backwards. Right? He didn't. He counted up. He counted, you know. That's, there you go. can't trick kids. Like, that's, that's too much for kids. You want to give us your your great uh, count impression here? I hear you do a fantastic impression of the count on Sesame Street, actually. So, uh, why don't you give the audience a taste? Ah, that's one. One bat. Two. Two bats. Three. Three fabulous flyers. Ah, ah, ah. Pretty good, right? Uh, amazing. Gary, fantastic. It sounded like the real thing. Beautiful. Yep, that's, yep, yep. All right, so we're going back 1987, 30 years. And, you know, people on Twitter have said they, they like this format. So that's why we're, we're doing some of these, too. I think it's fun. People seem to like them. Gary listens to the Twitter trolls. At um, least one person. At so. least. <laughs> Shout out to the one fan Good who, who appreciates me. this. Um, so we're going to go back uh, 30 years. The Hot 100 this week uh, dated August 29th, 1987. When we've done these in the past, I always ask you, Trevor, what were you doing back then? But I can't ask that this time, can I? Uh well, I guess you can. I mean, there's technically nothing stopping you. 4BT, right? There you go. Four BT. I like that. Uh, yeah, was not alive. All right. I Parents was... barely out of high school. Really? Uh, yeah, I think my, yeah, I think 86, 87 were my, their two years. All right. What were your parents doing back then? I'll ask that. Ooh, I don't, I don't know. I guess they were starting university and, um. University, what am I, some sort of like old British, you know, middle-aged <laughs> so person? It, somewhere in Europe or something? Yeah, yeah, they're on the, yeah, the Fulbright. Um, uh, no, they were just down in Texas, you know, making a life. W- waiting for you to come along. Just that, Life was it. meaningless. Just sat around, you know, day by day, collecting dust, and then 
Then one day the miracle happened, you know? All right. I was I was 13, 1987. Uh, I was awash in bar mitzvah money. I, I, you know, when you're 13 and you even have like, you know, 20 bucks, you feel like on top of the world. And I'm sure if we, I mean, if we do the inflation too, ooh, Gary was probably owning the city. Can I put in for that now? Um, I mean, you can, you can put in. We'll see what, what it gives you out. You weren't born, but you're going to, you're going to get an education here. Uh, yeah. And just cause I wasn't around doesn't mean, you know, of course these are, these are classic times for music in the eighties. So a lot of these songs, obviously very popular still to this day. And uh, a lot of these artists, of course, still hit makers. Some of the, the all time greats. And what's my favorite word? Vacation. It's a good word, but no, not that. When it comes to music. Boston. Also good, but specifically for music. When it comes to Gary's favorite word when it comes to music, I'm Mariah. Saying, that's also that that might be Okay, see, I'm not I'm not batting zero at all, all right, right here. Uh what's a word we've said on the podcast when we've had hit songs deconstructed? Talk about catchy choruses. This is the worst quiz I've ever taken in my life. Um repetition, sampling, hook, catchy. Hook. Hook driven. Nope. It's a term. This whole content is a hook. Peter Pan. <laughs> hook fest. Fest. Hook, hook fest. fest. Oh. <laughs> that'll be that'll be the name of Gary's uh, new music festival coming to Boston every <laughs> hook year. Hook fest. Oh, and I want twenty five percent of the proceeds, gross revenue, profits. So catchy. So this is just really just forty catchy choruses in a row. Ooh, that's ooh, Gary's putting that's that's a lot of pressure to put on all these songs. So we're gonna count down a forty to twenty one this week, and our special guest coming up because it was uh, her first week on the Hot One Hundred. Tiffany is gonna be here uh, later on in the podcast. We're gonna talk for a while about her career, you know, thirty years in the music business, and uh, new music now. And you guys had a little connection, Trevor, when 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 you guys started chatting. So we'll we'll see if we can hear that. Notice the way that he spit out the word Trevor. So I think Gary's a little jealous. Stole stole Tiffany. Yeah. All right. So that's all coming up. Let's get started. The Billboard Hot 100's top 40 this week, 30 years ago, August 29th, 1987. Kicking off at number 40.
numbers 40 through 36 in the Billboard Hot 100 this week, 30 years ago. The Hot 100 dated August 29th, 1987. Heart, uh, two songs by Heart at numbers uh, 40 and 38. We're already going out of order. Going from 40 to 38, it was Heart, Alone, and the follow-up single, Who'll You Run To? So Alone had hit number one. Who'll You Run To? was entering the top 40 at number 38. And they were one of those bands, they weren't the only band that in the 80s, had a comeback that was very poppy after more of a 70s uh, just total rock sound. Chicago, Starship, Ario Speedwagon, a lot of bands kind of realized they could go a little more commercial, a lot of big ballads, a lot of big power ballads in that era. Heart was right at the center of that. All right, uh, number 39 in between those two Heart songs, absolute legend Herb Alpert with Making Love in the Rain, uh, written by Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. And uh, if you listen to the whole song, you hear Janet Jackson in there and she had been on the previous single two diamonds which is a top five hit so uh janet jackson who was on a&m records kind of helping out her boss because herb alpert uh, is the a of a&m records he co-founded a&m so total collaboration uh, for that song gary just hit hitting us with the facts today look at that he connected herb alpert janet jackson jimmy jam terry lewis yeah and um, one of the cool things that we see in, with this song um you know herb alpert had been around for fur i'm so southern had been around for you know, 20, 20 years and plus, you know, in the, in the business. I mean, had huge albums back in the 60s. Right. That's something we, that, you know, something that you don't see quite in the same vein today. That That's kind of cool about the 80s. A lot of these acts who had been popular in the 60s and 70s, um, I mean, this is, you know, closer to 1990 than it is 1980. Right. But they're still having having some hits on the charts. They're still having some resurgence, some, some good moments. I mean, nowadays, you know, acts who are 20 years deep in their career, yeah. you know, very rarely are going to be... You know, putting out top 40 singles like the way that Herb is here. So no, that, that's a great point. He, he'd been on the Hot 100 since 1962. So you're talking 25 years at that point. So that would be like now someone who started in 1992 being on the Hot 100. And you're not seeing a lot of acts who were new in the early 90s now. So, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like it, it was a time that was more open to, to veteran acts back then. All right. Uh, number 37, John Cougar Mellencamp, when he was still John Cougar Mellencamp. Uh, Paper and Fire. It was new in the top 40 uh, this week. Would go on to hit number nine. But people probably know the follow-up better. You hear it more on, on radio now. Cherry Bomb got to number eight. But Paper and Fire, a little little more obscure in the John Mellencamp catalog. And uh, Check It Out was the third single. That's I think that's actually the best song. Got to number 14. Check It Out. That's okay. Check It Out. No, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll have to check it out. And at number 36, Gloria Stefan and Miami Sound Machine, Rhythm Is Gonna Get You. Uh, first of five singles from the album Let It Loose and what's interesting is it got to number five it was on its way down at this point but the biggest hits from the album were actually the fourth and fifth singles so Anything For You got to number one that was the fourth single and then uh, one, two, three, the fifth single was a number three hit so it was a really deep album and the more they kept going the more they just kept having even bigger hits Gloria was on the uh, the Billboard on Broadway podcast recently. She was uh, at Billboard, so you can find a lot more uh, about Gloria uh, by listening to that. Yeah, and I think um, for, for the musical On Your Feet, which is you know the story of of her life and and her, with the band and and her some solo attempts, and of course the big rehab after the tour bus accident uh, comes in a few years after this point. The musical actually just closed on Broadway. Actually, it closed uh, August twentieth. Had opened in November two thousand fifteen. So. Uh, almost two years, which you know, I think is a great run for that, especially, you know, for for a soundtrack that is not really Broadway driven. You know, I think a lot of people even kind of wondered if how this would fare on Broadway. You know, the 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 sound is not you know show tuney kind of sound, something that's really working. But I mean, for two years, you know, that's fantastic. Yeah, she was really you know, in the early stages of of her career at that point, nineteen eighty seven. Thirty years later, uh, she's pretty legendary at this point. Really, so everyone we've talked about so far: John Cougar Mellencamp, Hart. 
Herb Alpert. Pretty good start here to the contest. Well, let's keep it going. We got uh, five more songs for you, including um, at least another couple legends who people will remember for sure, so check them out. You got that All right, coming in uh, 35 to 31 on the Hot 100 this week back in 1987. Uh, looking at number 35, You Got the Look by Prince. Uh, so the song is about to be an eventual number two just at this point, starting out its Hot 100 life, uh, working its way up there. The song is a duet, though, with an uncredited Sheena Easton on vocals there. Uh, so most people probably, you know, when you hear the song, will realize that that is not Prince singing both parts. But that is Sheena Easton back there. And the pair actually has a, a history of working together uh, multiple times. They'll have a duet on the Hot 100 in a couple of years uh, from the Batman soundtrack that Prince, uh, you know, really was the sole orchestrator for. Uh, the song is The Arms of Orion. What a, what a, that's also, that's, that's like a Prince title of a song. It's like, so like, huh? Yeah, that no, was a ballad. It was a good song. It was very low key kind of a song after Bat Dance. But yeah. Good. yeah. Uh, not, not the biggest hit in the world. Um, you know, pretty modest, but for both of them, number 36 is, is its peak, but still notable that it, you know, got on there. Same thing we were talking about Mellencamp before. Uh, where do you put You Got the Look in the Prince catalog? And I think it's just a matter of he had so many hits that for most people, this would be an absolute career song. But when he's got so much other stuff, it maybe gets a little bit forgotten. Uh, ooh, that's a good question. I think it, um, I mean, as if I'm some like Paisley Park expert. But I do think that, yeah, it's like, especially coming from when it when it does in the context of it. Um, you know, this is on the Sign of the Times album. This, this double album uh, has a few... Uh, you know, I mean, Sign of the Times itself, a more socially conscious kind of song, a few more experimental songs coming in later. You know, this is this is really a, a straightforward kind of pop, a little bit of rock song. So, you know, I think people kind of overlook it because it's not this big grand endeavor clocks in at about four minutes. You know, by all standards, it's pretty it's pretty 
safe song. Yeah, and anything if it's if it's right after Purple Rain, it's just kind of in the shadow of just some of those huge hits. And I feel like maybe his early '90s stuff is is maybe regarded maybe a little bit better. Sort of the, the comeback with uh, New Power Generation, some of those songs. Yeah, maybe the sound just went a little a little more core R and B at that point. People kind of remember that. But this is this is still one of his his big '80s hooks. But it just feels like after Purple Rain and When Doves Cry just showed he had so many hits that this one is just another one at that point as big as it was and i think it's one of those things that's a little understated for prince because people do kind of expect that you know the the artur the you know kind of mysterious guy whatever i mean prince if he wants to can write you know a a pretty straightforward catchy danceable you know pop hook that everyone really enjoys i mean this is one of those songs i think for outside of the purple rain era that uh, if you want to get people like dancing to a Prince song, this is a this is one of the best bets out there. Right, and you know it's a Prince song because you is spelled with a U. Yeah, before Usher came along, that was that was Prince's thing. And uh, one more thing I kind of found interesting about you got the look. Uh, actually, the second longest charting song on the Hot 100 of all Prince's hits uh, last 25 weeks on the Hot 100, which was only outdone uh, later in the 90s by the most beautiful girl in the world with 26 weeks. Yeah. So you know this song lasts longer on the chart than. Then some of those major hits, When Doves Cry, um, Kiss, some of those other things. So, And I'll add one more thing because we just know it seems like we have to keep uh, mentioning things about this song. With uh, Sheena Easton, uncredited officially on the song. We heard back at number 39, Janet Jackson officially uncredited on the Herb Alpert song. This was kind of an era where people would collaborate, but unlike today, it wasn't featuring uh, several artists. It was kind of done more as favors or people were together and it was a different time financially where nowadays there'd probably be a whole team of management making sure that everyone got their cut. So it's kind of, kind of more of an innocent era at that point. Kind of kind of nice in some ways that, you know, it's not all, all about the money. Yep. All right. Uh, I'll keep on climbing. Number 34, we've got Shakedown by Bob Seger. Uh, notable in particular in Seger's catalog as his only Hot 100 number one hit hit uh and this is on his 30th chart entry so you know the guy i've been waiting a long time to get to number one um we actually only have one more hit on the hot 100 after this period which would have been which would be in 1991 uh the song the real love right um so the song's from the beverly hills cop 2 soundtrack uh the sequel of course starring eddie murphy i mean every, everyone kind of wanted a piece did, what did i forget somebody no i was gonna say i feel like we can now uh know which countdown we're doing which year by which eddie murphy soundtrack <laughs> that's how you can me- measure the charts in eddie murphy's it's that's the eddie murphy music podcast this i i like eddie we need to get eddie on here he maybe he'll talk about some of this stuff i feel like he wouldn't do it yeah but this but you know maybe it's unpredictable maybe he'll be you know if we said we have a podcast that is all about music on the charts for each of your movies he might be like that's different he might call eddie up gary all right Sp- spinoff of the chart podcast okay anyway so sorry back to back to shakedown and bob Seger. what we got here Beverly Hills Cop 2 soundtrack uh, coming through. And interestingly about this song, so Shakedown was actually never originally for Bob Seger. Uh, originally, it actually had been for Glenn Fry of the Eagles, yeah. who had who had hit um, from the soundtrack, the original soundtrack, right. with The Heat Is On, right. which was a number two hit. So the, the way it goes down, and this is also an anecdote uh, courtesy of our friend Fred Bronson in his Billboard Book of Number One Hits. Uh, so... Glenn Fry originally contracted to do the song, was not a really big fan of the song, but about 10 days before he was supposed to record it, uh, came down with laryngitis. So, of course, they're scrambling to figure yeah. out who, who could who could record it. Irving Azoff, manager of the Eagles, comes up with the idea to have Seeger record it. Seeger, now he keeps the chorus. He says, okay, but he rewrites all the verses, which is why he has the writing credit, because yeah. he did rewrite the song. 
and records it, and it ends up being a number one. I could hear Glenn Fry doing it, I suppose, although it feels like it maybe ultimately is better for Bob Seger. It's got a little crunchier kind of a sound. Yeah, I mean, it could have been Glenn, could have been that close, and interestingly enough, he had a number two, like we said, with the heat is on. Could have could have been that number one. Yeah, right. But, Glenn um, Fry missed, missed potentially yeah. number one solo hit. But it went out to Seeger. But apparently, also according to the anecdote, um, when it hits number one, Glenn calls up Bob and says, well, hey, at least we kept the money in Michigan. So <laughs> the Michigan boys getting a little little state love there. Right. All right. Now, this is not the only song we're going to see from the Beverly Hills Cop 2 soundtrack. We're actually going to see one in just a few minutes. And we'll save uh, the last one for the next edition, uh, just because it happens to be pretty up there during during this time. And jumping to number 33, and jump is the operative word here, we got Jumpstart by Natalie Cole. So the daughter of the legendary Nat King Cole uh, is mounting a pretty big pop comeback at this time. The song uh, Jumpstart on its way to a number 13 peak, which will actually be Natalie's highest on the Hot 100 since 1978. So we're talking almost a decade there um, of of not being this high on the Hot 100. Um, This song will also be number two on R&B, which will also be her highest in 78. And it's not that she had... You know, not been putting out music for this time. She she put out about three or four albums. None of them had really caught fire um, the same way that her music in the seventies had. You know, there were hits that this will be. Um, you know, an everlasting love, huge right, hit for right. her when when she came out. Um, sophisticated lady, a few other top tens up there, but ran into some real problems um, and personal problems too at this time. You know, yeah. a, a lot of some drug addiction, yeah. just some some personal issues going on in the early part of the eighties. Uh, so with this album that comes out in 87, Everlasting is the title of it. you got Jumpstart, you know, which becomes a top 20 hit. And uh, probably the best known song on the album is going to be her cover of Bruce Springsteen's Pink Cadillac. Right. Which uh, was B-side for him. So many people probably don't realize that's a Bruce Springsteen cover. Um, but it's a song that he wrote and she took to the top 10 um, just a few months after this. And I Live For Your Love was also from this album. A huge ballad. Also another single. Yeah, I lived through it. I remember. Of, it, of course, Gary remembers the ballads of the time. Well, that's late eighties. But this is this is and this the production on the song. This is so. This is just very. You know, I think what a lot of the R and B women were doing production. Well, you know who co-wrote yeah. and uh, co-produced this song, right there at the small print. On I the do. Oh, it's the Callaway. Right. The Callaways. Yes, the brothers. Yes, and uh, three years later, nineteen ninety, they would have a number two Hot One Hundred hit. I want to be rich. So. That's that style, that same late 80s, early 90s uh, pop R&B. That's what was in, yeah. And at 32, another R&B star of the time. Uh, last name, Jackson. First name, not Michael or Janet or Jermaine or any of them. Uh, it's actually Freddie Jackson, who is not one of the Jackson Jacksons. You just needed the name Jackson in the 80s. Get I, on the I guess that it, it, worked that, it, you worked. Know, it worked that well. So Freddie Jackson, we got the song Jam Tonight which will actually be Freddie's fourth and his final uh, top 40 hit on the Hot 100. Now, this is one of those weird, weird cases that I think, um, when you look back at the time, how how sort of split some of the genre attention and, and focusing could be at the time. Because Freddie Jackson, you know, has four top 40 hits on the Hot 100, never hits the top 10, but on the R&B charts, he is like, he's absolute dynamite. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy. I mean, this guy has uh, 10 number one hits on the R&B chart. Just so it always strikes me as kind of kind of insane how you know 
when you look at his R&B prowess, I mean, even when you look at some of our greatest of all time charts, um, I mean, just to put in perspective, you know, this album that Jam Tonight comes off of is just like the first time. That album spends 26 weeks at number one on the R&B chart. Yeah. The only two albums to ever spend more time are Wind Houston's debut and Michael Jackson's Thriller. All right, and we'll uh, keep on climbing. One more, 31 that you guys heard, Carry by Europe. I think the most interesting thing about this is that uh, the final countdown peaked at number eight. Carrie would go on to peak at number three. So this is actually their highest charting Hot 100 hit. And I'm sure you'd ask most people about Europe. Final Countdown would be the song uh, they think is the biggest. Maybe similar to Bob Seger, too, uh, Shakedown. I'm not sure anyone would necessarily, or too many people, would pick Shakedown as the biggest Bob Seger song. They're probably going to think against the wind or some of his other hits. No, they're going to think old-time rock and roll. Old-time rock and roll, Tom Cruise has immortalized that, yeah. But again, it always comes down to uh, it's how uh, songs have a chart life when they're out originally, but you never know how uh, years later uh, they're going to last in pop culture. And I mean, of course, you know, sometimes they get picked up in things like commercials or advertisements or whatnot, and that, you know, takes it on a whole other path. Right, just in the last year or so, Final Countdown. Yeah. uh, Bond up. It was the Geico commercial. All right, let's continue on here. Numbers 30 through 26. Numbers 30 through 26 on the Billboard Hot 100 this week, 30 years ago, August 29th, 1987. We heard at number 30, uh, Lisa Lisa and Cult Jam lost in emotion. Their second number one that year after Head to Toe. So they were one of the biggest acts of 1987. That whole freestyle sound was so big back then. They're a little bit more on the, the R&B side of uh, of that kind of sound. But you know, Cover Girls, all these acts that were so big in that, in that uh, little pocket there in the late 80s. It feels like one of those songs that you like – 
you know, I grew up, I didn't grow up in New York City, but I feel like that's a song you would hear like on like people's stoops or something. Just kind of like, you know, nice summer, spring day. Like, I guess at this point it's really closer to summer, fall, but you know, it's kind of like, like an easygoing kind of fun song. All right. Number 29, another legend that we heard to Herb Alpert back at number 39, number 29, Smokey Robinson with one heartbeat. Here's, here's one of the most interesting things I think about this song. It was his 10th and final top 10 on the Hot 100. That's including his whole career with the Miracles, all the hits they had. But it was his first uh, set of back-to-back top 10s because right before One Heartbeat, uh, Just to See Her, another guy who's so deep into his career here in 1987, he's having two of his biggest hits. Yeah, I mean, you know, what what kept Smokey going for so long? Because like you said, I mean, he was, I mean, really one of the very first, you know, people to come out of the Motown machine. And, you know, here he is almost, like you said, 25 years later um, and getting a lot of big hits in the 80s. I mean, cruising a couple, right. like there's, there's a nice little resurgence for him, really. Um, I think you said it earlier, Trevor, there was sort of uh, a more openness to veteran acts back then. Maybe a little bit before the video era had really kicked in, veteran stars didn't have to worry as much about uh, you know, looking younger, looking hipper in, in videos. So maybe that was a part of the longevity back then. I mean, when you think about it, really, you know, Smokey comes out of Motown and, and Stevie and right. Lionel, Michael, Michael Jackson. Yeah, 66 Hot 100 hits for Smokey Robinson over the years. Amazingly, one number one of all the hits he had with the Miracles and Solo. You know what his number one was? Tears of a Clown. Yeah. So Smokey Robinson, uh, number 29. And again, we'll hear uh, the tribute song to Smokey Robinson coming up next week when we uh, do numbers uh, 20 to 1 on our uh, two-part 1987 Top 40 Countdown. Uh, number 28, it's another Beverly Hills Cop 2 uh, song, uh, Cross My Broken Heart by The Jets. One of the co-writers of this song, uh, Stephen Bray, uh, known more for writing a lot of songs with Madonna over the years, Express Yourself, Causing a Commotion. No no Benny, unfortunately, involved with this with this Jets that's all I got. It was a uh, family band, uh, the Jets. They'd have uh, other big hits. Make It Real would be a huge hit in uh, 1988. And yeah, another Beverly Hills Cop 2 soundtrack. It's the second of three we'll be hearing in the countdown. And I'll shout out one that actually just missed the top 40. It was rising this week, though. Number 49, uh, Pointer Sisters song, Be There. Just missed the top 40, but we'll mention it here. Also, shout out to the Pointer Sisters for doing the, the back-to-back with the with the Beverly Hills Cop soundtracks. First, uh, first soundtrack had Neutron Dance on it, and so now they're reviving their fortunes with Be There. So Pointer Sisters and Beverly Hills Cop go together like like, like, like that. All right, here's a song at uh, number 27 that feels like it's going to be one of the more obscure songs in the countdown called Lies by Jonathan Butler. Kind of how you mentioned before, Trevor, about uh, guys who had a lot of R&B success cross over every now and again. Big in R&B, big in jazz over the years. And late 80s was pretty uh, welcoming to acts like Herb Alpert and uh, Kenny G and uh, Jonathan Butler. Time for some of this smooth jazz to cross over back then. Shout out to Jonathan Butler for his couple of the staple singers. Uh, if, you're, if you're ready, come go with me. That's a great cover of that song. He's still going. She had a number one jazz album in 2015. So again, a lot of these artists were flashing back to 30 years ago, still having great success nowadays. That's how you do it. And at number 26, here's a, it's a group, Danny Wilson, song is Mary's Prayer. Really catchy song, another one of those. See, that's why it's a hook fest. Another one of those catchy songs, Mary's Prayer. And uh, the lead singer, Gary Clark, he'd go on to write a lot of songs in the uh, 90s and 2000s. He actually wrote songs for both Mel C and uh, Emma Button, Sporty, and Baby Spice. All right, we're going to keep on climbing uh, into the top 25 on the Hot 100 at this point. So uh, let's check them out. Don't 
All right, number 25, Gary kind of alluded to Madonna a little bit. We're going to get uh, a little a little deeper into that with, with the song we heard, 25. That was not Madonna singing, but the song is Who Found Who, Jellybean featuring Alyssa Fiorillo. That's good. You know, put that little that little sauce on her so, name. See, you don't know how to pr- got those saucy vocals. If you don't know how to pronounce her name, just do it in the Italian version. It masks it right there. Exactly. People will be so focused on the accent, they won't care about the content. Um, now, Gary actually mentioned a few a few minutes ago, uh, brought up the name Madonna on this countdown. Uh, that was actually not Madonna singing, but for big Madonna fans, they'll know Jellybean is is the same Jellybean John, nicknamed Jellybean Benitez, who uh, probably some of his most enduring works people would really know are some of the early Madonna songs from her first album, songs like Borderline, uh, Holiday, uh, the song Crazy for You. He all had, he had hand in producing. Uh, a lot of those tracks and actually remixed Lucky Star. Madonna did not like the original mix of the song, so she asked Jelly Bean, who was her boyfriend and producer at the time, to uh, to remix to re to remix to remix. What well, you know? I guess I got that attack the remix, you know, <laughs> to remix for uh, for her, turn it into a top five hit. So uh, really, you know, the guy who in a lot of ways helped put Madonna on the map. Yeah, it was kind of nice to see him get his own moment on the charts as the lead artist on this song. Yeah. So this song's on its way up into the top 20 of the Hot 100. Jellybean also uh, has another top 20 hit to his credit, the song Sidewalk Talk, actually co-written by Madonna. So right. that's a little little reversal of roles for them. Madonna behind the scenes and Jellybean up there getting the artist credit. And this really actually starts one of the things that uh, you know we see a lot nowadays especially is the producer featuring the vocalist kind of credit style. That's right. Which is something that I thought was kind of, when I was looking into this, I didn't realize at the time, I thought Jellybean would be, you know, on the track. And I was like, wait a minute, this is, Jellybean's producing. He's the so, DJ Khaled of his time. Exactly. Yeah, wait, we see Khaled or David Guetta or some of these folks. You know, he, just, he just didn't shout out Jellybean at the beginning. Like he Khaled. missed opportunity. Well, I guess Khaled does another one. That's true. Yeah. yeah. He, also his name, though. Maybe like, maybe like a Mike Will made it kind of thing. That would be more, yeah. Uh, all right. Keep on climbing to uh, number 24. We got I Need Love, LL Cool J. So on its way to number 14. This song really will be the the breakthrough for LL um, to mainstream audiences. His first charting song had only gotten into the 80s. This one going getting all the way to number 14. So really introduces him to a lot of people across the nation. I think most people also remember this song. Uh, I don't know if you remember the time, Gary, how maybe transformative this was. I mean, this is a really, you know, the, the, it's it's a slower song. More importantly, it's, I mean, the song is called I Need Love. It's a very, you know, almost like a ballad in terms of, in terms of its themes and delivery. I mean, to talk about love in this particular way, I mean, this is a, you know, this is a long way from a lot of, you know, all the pimping songs out there, all the, the whatnots. And even at the time, you know, a lot of people are rapping about social issues or even just, you know, having fun and kicking it. But that's why ladies love Cool J. Okay. Oh, Gary. It's like Gary knew because I was going to end. I was literally going to end by asking Gary if he knew what LL Cool J stood for. And he does. So I guess I could just move on to number 23, which is Give to Live. Which is like a great slogan by uh, the one and only Sammy Hagar. Uh, so Sammy Hagar, as most people probably know him from his stint with Van Halen in the uh, the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, will be their lead singer for about 10 years after David Lee Roth. Uh, he was moonlighting from Van Halen on this song. And let's keep on climbing up to number 22. We got uh, Steve Winwood back in the high life again, which is the title track of the album at the time. Um, 
most people probably know the the biggest hit off the album is going to be the song Higher Love, right? Which uh, will be number one hit on the Hot 100. And ding, ding, ding! Gary always knows I love to bring up my little little Grammy facts. Uh, Higher Love wins the Grammy for Record of the Year, right? So, so Steve cashing in out there as well. Yeah, this is a great time for him. He just uh, started having hits. I mean, he dates back to the '60s with, with all his uh, the different bands he's been in. But late '80s, he just started having uh, so many hits. The Finer Things, uh, Roll with It, would go to number one. 1988, Don't You Know What the Night Can Do? So, uh, big time for Steve uh, Winwood. And James Taylor yep. is is up there doing background vocals right. for the song. Right. So. Yeah, you can hear him. You can hear him at the end of the song yeah. kind of clearly as it fades out. All right, and after Steve Winwood closing us out for this episode, number 21, the stopping point for this week. How about a little Bananarama, I Heard a Rumor? You know who uh, co-wrote and produced that song? Stock Aiken Waterman, team that uh, did so many hits uh, in the late 80s into the 90s, a lot of the Kylie Minogue songs, Rick ah. Astley. They did the other Rick Astley hits together forever and never going to give you up. So that was that. They're uh, responsible for, for for all that? They started Rick Rolling they long were, before that. There would be no Rick Rolling without these people. Right. That's how you, Yeah, that really, really yeah. polished uh, British pop dance that crossed over on the yeah, U.S. charts. Yeah, for people who are looking for the title of the song, it is Rumor With You because Bananarama right. is an English girl group. So the song, uh, it, it, this is one of those songs that is that is so, you know, quintessential '80s catchy. I mean, pretty the the, the hook is what drives the song, and I mean, if, especially at the end. I mean, they repeat it on that fade out, you know, six seven times. And I think one of the great testaments to this song is particularly if you don't, you, if you might not think you know this song, but when you because based on the title, I heard a rumor, like you know whatever. But when you hear it, you know you know that melody, and you know you've heard it. I'm sure that's probably actually used plenty of times in commercials or on you know, sportscasts or whatnot. This is this is one of those, like up there with you know like a cruel summer or um, uh, their cover of Venus. Yeah, Venus. I mean, walking on sunshine. All those songs where it's like that just fun '80s, you know, easy going. Was I lying or is this been a hook fest? Um, I mean, well, ending on Bananarama for sure. That is definitely a hook fest. That song is um super catchy. I mean, I took America by storm on its way to number four. So, of course, we'll continue with uh, numbers 20 all the way up to number one on next week's episode. Uh, but for now, we're going to we're gonna flip the other side of the chart and look at what was beneath uh, number 40. A few things that stand out down there. Gary, in particular, a few things you want to call some attention to. All right. Highest debut at number 65 was by Boston band, uh, The Cars, You Were the Girl. Maybe not one of their biggest hits, although I think it's a really good song. It's written by uh, Rick Ocasek, lead singer. And uh, just below at number 66... A real classic in the Fleetwood Mac uh, catalog, Little Lies. So even 10 years after Rumors, you know, yep. is there is there a peak still churning out some hits on the charts? And say a Christine McVie uh, co-write. She sings the song and she has a new album out with uh, Lindsey Buckingham of Fleetwood Mac. Really good album, by the way. They're they still uh, 40 years after uh, Rumors. Great songs. I mean, that's the thing is like, you know, those those great songwriters in particular. I mean, their talents last, you know, all time. And uh, number 84, and this is why uh, we're talking to her specifically this week, because this is when it all started for Tiffany. I think we're alone now, debuted. It was her first Billboard chart hit 30 years ago this week, August 29th, 1987. So Tiffany's joining us here on the podcast to talk about uh, what it was like to be really young in the business. She has some really interesting insights about that. Uh, talking about rock and country is where she started before she went pop. So we'll get into that and uh, some new music uh, as well uh, from Tiffany. So we're going to get into all that. Oh, along with uh, her own countdown, Tiffany counts down her five favorite songs of hers at the end of the interview. And there really is some little connection between the two of you. Trevor, you can hear it. 
Uh, uh, okay, well, we'll let the people judge for themselves. Uh, if you hear anything between Tiffany and I, just don't tell Gary, but uh, but let us know. Well, the Billboard Chart Podcast. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Tiffany here on the Billboard Sharpie podcast. Welcome, Tiffany. Well, thank you. Welcome to New York. New York is one of my favorite places to be, so I love it here. I have good friends here. I love to shop here. <laughs> you can get a lot so of I'm going to be a busy girl for the next four days that I'm here. Where, where do you where like shop? Can we can we figure out where to anywhere to, to anywhere? Up? I'm mostly vintage for me. I like the okay. you know the the real just interesting find. I mean, I'm an artist, so I can wear the most eccentric things. And for so many years, I think I was plain, you know, Vans and and a jean jacket and just big hair, big bad badly crimped hair. <laughs> so, you know, once in my 20s, I started getting into hair and makeup a little bit more and fashion. You know, and living in LA, I realized, wow, you know, I mean, it's all about designer, which I love, but it really is the unique find, the vintage pieces um, that interest me. So I love and just like, you know, if I have a couple hours going to thrift stores or different vintage stores um, and just kind of finding things that are different. I have a, a seamstress who works with me and she'll remake pieces for me. And, you know, I mean, so many times I'd go on the red carpet or something and somebody else is wearing the same dress. And that's embarrassing, especially if they're wearing it better than you. You're like, what? You know, but, um, you know, it's I find vintage to be, again, that one of a kind piece. That's awesome. You can always make it your own. You know, that makes you feel a little like, it does. cool, it makes original, you feel special. Yeah. And, and like I said, I like to be a little eccentric, you know. Um, yeah, I love like platform shoes. I should have probably I know I'm from the 80s, <laughs> which I still love some of that fashion. But. Uh, 60s and 70s really rocked. <laughs> oh, what what would Janice wear? <laughs> you know, oh, so living minus out loud. the boas. Okay. I don't really do the boas, but I love like the quirky hats and stuff like that. I mean, my go-to is, you know, totally different. But uh, Stevie Nicks, you know, I love all of her pieces, and that's been the person who's inspired me most with fashion and music and songwriting. So you know, I look at all of the stuff that she's worn on stage before and the top hats and just. She's rock and roll, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it. 
Nice. So Tiffany and Stevie Nicks. I don't know. You know, interesting connection. We'll kind of circle back to that. Oh yeah. I mean, later. that's I think what a lot of people maybe don't realize. They they probably remember. I think we're alone now. They remember the dance pop, but you've always kind of at heart been a rock chick, been a country yeah, chick. That's that's definitely. really the sound you've always liked and, and where you started. That's where I, I started off in country music, um, started singing professionally when I was nine, started going to Nashville when I was 10. Um, and Hoyt Axton, joy to the world, all the boys and girls now. I started singing with him. When I was nine on stage, um, in bars, actually, I wasn't allowed to be there. So I'd sneak in the back door, sing two songs, and out the door I'd go. And he recommended um, for me to go to Nashville and start working with his mother, May Axton. And um, I did that probably from, you know, the time I was like 12 to, or 10 to 12. Um, and it was great. I, I loved country music. I still love country music. I'm really partial to old school country music, Patsy Klein. Tammy Wynette. Um, so, like even before your time? like, like Oh, the, yeah. I mean, that's what was yeah. played at my house. Um, and then by the time I was like 12, my older cousin started showing me. I Actually, I was sneaking in her bedroom, if you want all honesty, and playing her, her albums. And I was playing Heart, and I found you know Fleetwood Mac. And that was it. As soon as I heard Stevie's voice, I just really identified with And there's it. a similarity there. There really is between there is. the voices. There is. I have that gravel yeah. to, to my voice. Um, and it was something about, I mean, it doesn't matter what she sings. You just know it's Stevie Nicks. Um, and her writing was, you know, really spoke to me. Even though I didn't understand any of it, it was mystical and magical. And, you know, it was just interesting to me. And her love songs and her melodies, you know, really... I've always been an old soul, so they just spoke to me, um, and I've been a fan ever since, and that's kind of where, you know, as an artist, I'm always wanting to raise the bar to go, you know, as a songwriter, I want to be just as good as her, um, you know, and as a performer, just as good as her, you know. I think we all have those people that we're really inspired by, and I've been really lucky to meet her several times, and she's wonderful and gives me encouragement, and every time she gets on stage, I cry. I'm a big mess. <laughs> I'm just like, you know, you are seeing something, again, really magical there. Is it true that uh, you started doing country but switched to pop because it was thought uh, both by your parents or, or management that you were too young to sing country songs? They were too deep emotionally and pop would be better? Well, I started singing rock, actually. Again, there's that, co- you know, that cousin influence. So I was listening to her albums and I started to tell my parents, you know, I want to change my set and start incorporating some Fleetwood Mac. Um, and then I found people like Lacey J. Dalton, um, Roseanne Cash, people with a little bit of an edge in the country music. So that was my new set, <laughs> at, uh, like I said, at 12. Um, and I started singing with bands, whoever. My dad would just go up to fairs, um, the American Legion, wherever we, you know, barbecues, you know, that were hosted by the community or something. And my dad would just go up and, and say to the band, hey, I have a daughter who wants to sing. If it didn't go well, he'd say, here's 50 bucks, you know. <laughs> um, but all of it was an experience for me. And I was not shy. I love to sing, you know. And all of it was an experience of learning how to work with a band, learning how to be on stage, work an audience. Um, because, you know, a lot of people are, the band is not really the main focus. They're socializing, they're eating, they're running after their kids. Um, so to get that attention, I had to work really hard, you know, and I was just a little girl. But you know, usually I'd come out and start singing and people go, this voice, like a 30-year-old, 
you know, and she's only 12. This is bizarre. Um, but I think all of it led to me now. I mean, the the most that I'm proud of is being a live musician. That's probably where I feel the most comfortable. And that was all those earlier experiences. You know, going into pop music at 14 was my producer's idea. I got signed to him at 14. And, you know, I, my parents didn't know anything about the music industry at all. So they just went from one thing to another. People would refer them. And we ended up meeting George Tobin. I was doing a demo in Burbank, California, another country demo with an edge. Um and he came down the stairs and someone had said, there's this girl in the studio that just has this voice. You've got to peek your head in there and hear her. And he did and brought me out into, you know, the, the, the little lobby out there and got a guitar. And he said, do you know any Beatles songs? And I said, well, I know a few. I'm a Beatles fan. Well, start singing this. And I was like, well, first of all, who are you? <laughs> but I mean, as a kid, I just want to sing. So I didn't care. And uh, then he, you know, wanted to take our number down and he called my parents and he said, I don't know anything about country music. Um, you know, rock is not on the table for her unless you wanted to wait later on because it's just not age appropriate. It's just never going to happen. Uh, but I know everything about pop music and I think, you know, I think there's something there. So I was actually a little disappointed. No, no country was never on the table. <clears throat> country was never on the table. It, George never really wanted to go in a, a country direction. It just wasn't something that interests him. So it was more pop. And at the time we, we went into the studio and we started recording things that were a little more gritty pop, you know, probably like our modern day Sheryl Crow now we were doing back then. Um, you know, with acoustic flair, but still pop-based, but, you know, a little bit of an edge. And uh, it just didn't work. You know, it was kind of hard to find songs that, again, age-appropriate. So, you know, I came in the studio one day, and he had the track to I Think We're Alone Now. And I was like, I don't I don't want to sing this song. For, I heard the original song by Tommy James and the Shondells the day before. He goes, I want you to go home and learn this song. And I was like, oh, okay. Because it's all, ch ch children behave, you know. And I was like, oh, my, okay. Well, you know, where are we going with this? And I came in the next day, and he had the track. And that was totally different. Um, and I took that home, and I was like, you know, I really don't want to be a dance artist. Um, I mean, I'm grateful that anybody cares enough to be recording me. I don't mean to you know, be ungrateful, but nobody's going to know I can sing. And that's, you know, I love dance music. I mean, I listen to Eric B and Rakim and Lisa Lisa and all like, you know, kind of urban dance, like, you know, R&B rap stuff. I loved all of that, but I didn't want to be that because I wanted to be a singer, you know, a singer. I wanted people to know I could sing. And again, there was always that passion to be a chick in front of a band, rocking out, you know, and I was like, well, this is so far from that. But I took it home and I was learning the song in my bedroom and my girlfriends came over and they started dancing around my room. They loved it. So I went into the studio the next day and did the vocal and like two passes. Still not so convinced, but it's a song that's been with me since then. I mean, 30 years later. Right. Um, so we're actually celebrating yes. 30 Years on the Billboard charts. I know it's crazy. So congratulations! Here it and is. I do love the song. I have to say, uh, I grew into it, um, and it was really probably the way the song makes people feel. You know, I mean, even now I go and perform in front of younger crowds who really don't know who I am, 
But there's that song, you know, as soon as I go, children behave, people go, ah, you know, or they're, I've had young girls come up at 20 something and they're like, are you a new artist? Where can I find that song? I'm like, oh, that is adorable. I love you. <laughs> and just Google it. It's been around for a while. But I mean, that's the biggest compliment, you know, and I really don't get tired of singing that song. So, you know, I'm glad that. That was one decision that my manager and producer just said, just do this anyway. <laughs> it was a life lesson. Right. So we're, look, we're looking actually in front of us. We have the first time you were ever on a Billboard chart, August 29th, 1987. I think we're alone now. Do you remember when? Debuted at number 84. When somebody, you get a call or how'd you find out? Did you open the page yourself? Do you remember anybody saying, hey, oh, we're yeah. actually, we made it? Well, when uh, I think we're alone now went number one. Um, I got a call from George Dobin, my manager and producer, and he said, what are you doing right now? And I said, well, I'm doing the dishes because I was still going to school. Even during the mall tour, I went to school, you know, then went on the weekends, I'd go on the road, then come back, be exhausted, but I'd be in school. Um, and so I said, well, I'm, I'm doing my chores. He goes, well, you'll never have to do chores again. Stop doing that. You're number one on the billboard chart. And I was thrilled. I don't think I really knew what that meant and how hard that is to achieve and how special that is. I mean, again, I was only 16 um, by the time it really I was almost 16. But, you know, I knew that that was a big deal. Um, but, you know, my response was, well, I won't be able to do anything unless I get the dishes done. Because I'll be in trouble. He was like, okay, clearly you don't get it. Um, but that was my big celebration. I ended up going to Farrell's Ice Cream Parlor, where they used to do like the big, um, they played the drums when they brought you special ice cream sundaes. So that was how I, that's how I celebrated. My, like, like a my special num number one. A number one son. So yeah. the birthday son. They, they make up. You're a number one son. I had a bunch of my friends and we all went there and it was really, really cool. I remember being like, I guess this is really going to, you know, be awesome for me. I mean, and now I totally respect it. I completely get it. You know, um, I mentor a lot of other artists and that's the one thing I'm like, look, Understand you'll never understand everything about the music industry. Keep an open mind. Know in your heart what you want to do because um, it does start from you. But listen to the people around you. They're there in your life for a reason. They have achieved their success and their positions for a reason. Um, you know, and so, you know, and if you get a chance to even be on a chart at all, be be grateful. You know, be really, really grateful because... There's so many, I think for me, as I started to get more and more into the music industry, finding other artists that I love, you know, people like Janis Joplin and stuff, and realizing that they never had that. That sounds crazy. You know, it's like, how how could that not, you know, happen? They're legends. But then you start to look at other people and you go, oh, wow, they didn't sell 17 million, you know, albums. They didn't have number ones. How special is it that I did so I'm forever I'm forever grateful always 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 were you a little happier when uh, could have been went to number one did you like that song better because it showed off more vocals yes that song I, I we fought to sing that song record that song um, when I heard it again I heard that song at 14 because it took us an, a year to make the album um, you, you know the label MCA didn't want me to record that because they were like this is just too mature and I actually was at the meeting and I said, well, I mean, I disagree because 
when a 14-year-old girl, 15-year-old, 16-year-old girl breaks up with any boy or any relationship, it is drama. <laughs> it is that like it's changed your life. You're never going to get over it. And I think that they can understand these lyrics just like I understand these lyrics. And it shows that I can sing. It's a beautiful song. So with that, we went ahead and put it on the album and, you know, it, it went to number one and it worked. And I love singing that song in my show, um, you know, again, because it does show I can sing. Uh, and it's just such a well-written song. So, you know, to have, you know, two number ones and then a number one album again, it's just and then to tour the world, you know, go different places, different countries and arrive at the airport and people are screaming your name and they're wearing jean jackets just like you. And you knowing so much about you, it was bigger than I ever expected it to be. Now, I know uh, a lot of times, you know, especially nowadays, when you look at some of these celebrities that who get really famous at a young age and do do these kind of things, number ones and tour the world. You know, was that was that hard for you to adjust to? Or do you think that maybe that live training you kind of had growing up made it a lot easier for you to you know, to take all of that in, not be overwhelmed by the pressure or the fame or the fans or anything like that? I think I just rolled with it. Uh, every day was an adventure. It's still an adventure now. I mean, I'm on the road full time. I haven't stopped for probably the, the last year. Um, be, you know, before that, for 30 years, I've still been in the music industry. Um, maybe not on the charts, but behind the scenes, writing music and producing and growing as a musician which, you know, is important for me. Um, so it's still an adventure every day. Um, and I think that, yeah, I never got tired of it. You know, there was times that I took some time off the road to be a mom or to just grow as a person, you know, on a personal level. Um, and I think that really helped me. And I have a philosophy. I, when I start getting tired, you know, where I meet and greets where you're not really present, um, or you're just like, oh, no, because it does happen. That's when I'm like, OK, I need to go home and rest because each fan, I do want to be present. I want I don't want to, again, get in that position where I don't respect it and I'm not grateful for it. You know, sometimes I think if you go past that mark is when you start resenting things or it doesn't become meaningful and you're probably not at your best. So I really do try to take pauses in my career which is crazy because people go, you can't stop. You know, there's 20 people behind you that will replace you. I mean, that's just the truth. But for longevity, and, and I think now so many people go, you're not bitter. You love what you do, you know, and you're like, you love your fans. And I'm like, well, that's probably because I can just go home and, you know, put on my sweats and take my makeup off and just be mom and wife and friend and auntie. And it's really important. Um but for the first, like, four years of my career, that's all I did was tour. Um, and I think there was a time that I, you know, my band members, I'd kind of look at them and go, did I sing the first verse? Did, where are we at? You know, because you go on automatic pilot a little bit. And that was very scary to me. Um, I mean, obviously, I was a kid. So there was no staying up too late. There was no alcohol or drugs. That was just really doing the same thing every day and you start to become like a robot um, and that was really scary for me but I was fatigued so I came off the road um, right before I was 18 um, 19 actually and and took a little break and did the new inside album and that's when I kind of like wanted to branch out again as a as a songwriter it's always been my passion 
to write songs. Um, but no one was listening. Nobody really cared at the time. So I was always writing poetry behind the scenes and writing songs and um, and kind of trying a little bit at piano, but I'm, I'm terrible. <laughs> yeah, I have to practice. I open up my, my mouth and my voice comes out and it's natural. Everything else I have to work at. Um, songwriting, not so hard, you know, although I've spent a lot of time in Nashville. And that's probably the, what I'm the most proud of is people know, yes, she's Tiffany. You know, I think we're alone now, the 80s, but they actually embrace me as a songwriter there. So that's taken some time, but um, it's a great accomplishment for me. ahead to your album uh, last year that came out, A Million Miles. We talked last year just after the album had come out. I hadn't gotten a chance to listen to the whole thing. And since then, I've realized how deep it is. And in some ways, you know, it, it's it's almost 30 years after your debut album. But in some ways, it almost feels like a debut album of sorts because it feels like we're hearing more of your, your voice as an artist on this album. Thank you. Maybe for the first time. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to go back to, again, some of that stuff like could have been. Um you know, I've done a lot of different projects, all that I love. And they're they're. I listen to my fans a lot, you know, and they're like, please do a dance album, you know, or please do this. I did The Color of Silence, um, which was more rock based um, and probably what I'm in the studio now. And when I'm on the road, I'm writing more stuff like that as an extension of A Million Miles. But A Million Miles, that album, my vision for that was to get back to people going, wow, those vocals. You know, and it really was my therapy as a songwriter, you know, on a million miles. I wrote about people heartbreak. I mean, I lost a lot of people in five year span from cancer, unforeseen circumstances, friendships that just broke up, you know, that people change and you just it just doesn't work anymore. You know, Um, things people that you thought would always be there and they're not. So. That's kind of what A Million Miles is about. It's not all sad, but it really is a lot of my journey, my life's journey. Um, and songs like A Million Miles or Fall Again, um, you know, those are really special songs for me. And to perform them sometimes if I'm – I have to take myself out of the, you know, that place sometimes because I'll, I'll start to cry a little bit. They're that meaningful to me. Um, but, you know, that was the first album. This has been the first album that I've come out as a, as a co-producer because behind the scenes, I've constantly had an opinion and, you know, I've said this is what I want, but I never felt comfortable taking a title. Um, and on this one, I was like, you know what? I really, I want my name on there. I want people to know that this is my life. There was never been a plan B. It's always been music for me. You know, people sometimes go, oh, the mall girl. Oh, I think we're alone now. And they forget about could have been. You know, they they do. They go, oh, you've only had one hit. And well, that's not true. You know, so and I'm not that person. Like, I don't want around going, well, no, you know, so I just kind of smile. And and then I get up and either I talk to them or I'm able to perform and people go, wow, there's this depth to you that I didn't know. 
Um, and again, that's a great compliment. And I wanted that to come out on this album, that, you know, music is my life. I really am a musician. Um, you know, I'm not just somebody that's doing this. This is a career for me. And and I plug myself around old school people and, you know, people that I can just soak up a lot of information from, you know, and, and learn from. So, I mean, that's what I do on my off days. You know, I'm just around from new musicians, you know, on the scene in Nashville that are that are young bloods, you know, but they're really amazing um, to, you know, people who've been doing this for, you know, 60 years um, and, you know, had hits back in the 50s and 60s. I'm lucky enough to, to, to call them my friends, um, you know, spending time and talking to Tommy James was really cool, um, you know, and, it, and he's such a wonderful person. These are the these are the things that I, I you know as an artist that get me really excited and I try to take whatever advice they give me and just use it somehow. Um, and sometimes you have to wait on that, but it, you know, like a million miles, it's like, okay, I'm dialing up all these different experiences. Oh yeah, that's where I want to put this. And, and so, you know, selecting a lot of the songs for this album, we overcut. So it was really hard to sit down and go, okay, what are the right ones for this album? But I think, I think we chose them. I think it, I think it's a well-rounded album. You mentioned being 14, being in, in meetings about that first album and, and now saying how you're making all the decisions. Was it had to be daunting, right? At that age, you're in a room with guys in suits and, and maybe you don't even feel like – I mean, you're the artist. It's your name on the album. But did you feel like I don't get a say in this at times? And it, it seems to take a real confidence to speak up at that age. I, I think sometimes I – you know, I knew my place in a weird way because um, you just kind of – if you're smart, you just kind of know – um, and I always wanted to be respectful to people, you know. Uh, but I think, yeah, there was definitely some times that I felt like people were making decisions but not understanding my age group, you know. Especially it was more when I wanted to start doing videos and change my live show a little bit. Um, you know, I think my manager's vision for me was more like a Celine Dion. But that was a little premature for a 16 and 17 year old audience, you know, they wanted dancers and they wanted, and even though, again, I really didn't want to become that type of artist, I saw, well, this is kind of where we need to do that. Um, so I did put dancers on the road and I fought for that. I fought for a lot of up tempo songs because we were singing songs like, you know, it's the lover, not the love. <laughs> and my fans were like, Eyes went dark. <laughs> They're beautiful songs that I put in my shows now, but it was too much too soon. Um, something like could have been made sense, but some of the songs that we recorded after that I think were a little too mature. And Hold an Old Friend's Hand, which is one of my favorite songs. And now if you see me do it live, I'm like, okay, didn't understand the lyrics at 16, 17. 
I really understand them now, and this is not pretty. You know, <laughs> another year, and I'm still here. The grass just will not grow on this old hill, really, at 45. <laughs> so, I mean, but again, they're just so well, yeah, they're well-written songs. I mean, people don't know that I'm a Joni Mitchell fan, Joan Baez fan, you know, a Janet, big Janice Ian fan. So, I mean, something like Hold an Old Friend's Hand, I feel fits into that kind of genre a little bit. Um and it's nice to have one of those songs that I recorded, um, you know, in in my life. Um, now, again, going back out on the road and stuff and just being able to strip stuff down an acoustic guitar, I am becoming the artist that, you know, again, like a Joni Mitchell and Joan Baez and people like that. I think you'll know a good song when you can totally strip it down. And if it still holds your attention, there's something there. I know you do a lot of house concerts, even in Nashville with your friends and with other people. But then you can turn around and go to England and do a retro show with Howard Jones and Kim Mm -hmm. Wilde. So kind of nice that you have both of those sides. I wear a lot of different hats. I mean, that might be confusing to some people. But as an independent now, uh, you know, it's it's what I need to do. Uh, The retro shows, of course, will continue to call. Thank goodness. Um, they're the big shows. They're the shows that I get to do in front of fourteen to 20,000 people. Uh, multi-bill, great artists attached to it. Why wouldn't I do it? It's a lot of fun. Um, and it's a celebration of my success. You know, I think we're alone now and could have been and all this time. And I saw him standing there. So why not, you know? Um, and then the house concerts, the smaller venues, that is where I'm able to show my new music, you know, keeping it small. And it because it only works in an intimate crowd. That's the only way this works. It's the the Million Miles Tour, um, and people get to know me. I think not just I'm up here singing songs. Of course I do. I think we're alone now, and I do could have been. But we break them down. There's that you're going to get more of a, a of an earthy kind of organic folky kind of take on it, um, which is people go wow again. That song is didn't know you could sing that song without like. You know, the dance moves and all the flash, you know. Um, But it's so meaningful. And it's to hear people singing that song back to me. I think we're alone now back to me with just an acoustic guitar is is timeless. It really is. It's it's awesome. You know, you're getting old school Tiffany. And then some of these other shows, you're getting the extension, like you said, um, of of what I've become now. Um, and, And I'm loving living in both worlds. You know, I'm lucky that I have a band that can just kind of pop in and out. I mean, they just follow me to the ends of the earth. Uh, and I throw a lot of curveballs. I mean, especially a million miles show, no show has been the same. We have a set list, but I get out there and I'm going to do what the room needs. With a bigger production show and the retro shows, you really can't do that. You're kind of locked in. So, I mean, I think I love that as a performer, too, because it keeps me sharp. It keeps me connected to the people. Yeah, because, I mean, you mentioned just earlier about sort of the autopilot kind of feeling. You know, if it's the same list, we're going to, you know, do this, segue into this, take a break here, you know, insert audience chatter here. Like, that must be awesome for you, like refreshing, like you said, to just be able to, you know, maybe they're feeling, you know, happier tonight. Maybe something sad happened in the world and maybe people are feeling a little more somber tonight. We can give them what they need. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. And, I, and I'm, I'm so lucky to have a band that will, again, fly by the seat of the, their pants. I try not to do that because um, I want it to look polished and professional. But 
you know, yeah, sometimes somebody screams out Spanish eyes and I'm like, we can do it, you know. Um, so it really is tailored for the audience. Um, it's 90 minutes of, you know, whatever that evening's going to entail. I, I designed that show from being in Nashville and I'm, I'm a foodie. I love to cook for people. Um, and I love to play music. You'll always come to my house and there'll always be instruments all over. And, you know, people will grab a guitar. Most of my friends who come are players. Uh, and so, a little, you know, a couple cocktails, full stomach, <laughs> and then we get onto the music. And, you know, some of my friends don't play anything and they're, they're like, girl, I can't sing. You, here's a shaker. Here's a tambourine. So that's what I do um, for the Million Miles. I hand out shakers and tambourines to the audience. Um, and they're they're part of it. So you really are like coming to my living room for the evening. And I and I love that. You know, again, some of the bigger retro shows, you're you know, you're gonna get again the dance moves and I don't really wear too much eighties stuff. I let the audience do that. <laughs> I mean, I love jean jackets and they're so big now, they're back. Like everyone's wearing a jean jacket. But I and I have them, but I'm just always afraid people are going to go. Oh, God bless her. She hasn't. She still has her old stuff. <laughs> She's still wearing She's her clothes hanging on. from the '80s. <laughs> so I don't wear too too many jean jackets. Um, but every once in a while, I'll pop something that's fun. You know, um, I want to do a photo shoot that um, you know is all about the old school pictures, but the new Tiffany. So kind of a retro feel, same poses, same all of that, but, you know, a little different take. Um, but I think that my fans would really like that. I say, it sounds like a, like a Twitter like goldmine. Like yeah, a, I think it's going to be yeah. really cool. So I'm, I'm on a diet right now to be able to do all of that because I was very skinny at 14. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, I want to have fun with it. I mean, it really is. And, you know, people go, it's been 30 years. And you could be afraid of that number. But, I mean, I started out young. I'm only 45 now, and I have a very young spirit about me. Um, and I don't think 45 is old by any means. Uh, so I celebrate, truly, that I've been in the industry for 30 years. But I got another 30 in me, which is a great place to be. So, you know, I want to have fun with my success. Um, and just, and you know, just really from, you know, videos to photos to the music. I'm re-recording a lot of the songs. Uh, I saw him standing there. You don't ever want to take something and mess it up. You know, people love it the way that it is. So subtle changes. Um, and, and we're doing some remix versions for just, you know, because so many my, of my fans all over the world are hungry for, you know, that music. Um, and so I want to be able to give them something that's maybe a little different. Um, you know, and I, the retro shows for I Think We're Alone Now, we've extended the whole song. I used to just play it and it's three minutes and, you know, whatever, 30 seconds. And I thought, well, this is silly. It's my hit. I should probably <laughs> extend it and live in the moment a little bit. So that's what we do now. Um, but you learn these things as you go along. And the stuff you're writing now, is it sort of like the last album, a little bit different? Well, I mean, for A Million Miles, you know, that was really my singer, you know, album, like my my, my vocalist album coming back. Um, you know, we've got songs called, you know, Waking Up for the First Time um, that, that are definitely up-tempo. Right. You know, they're not all ballads on, and it's not all sad. But where I'm going now is, is a little bit more towards the color of silence. 
um, and starting to put an edge. And I think I let my albums happen after the tour experience because as you're out there, you see what you might you might be missing, um, and you hear what the fans and you see what works. There's nothing like I mean, even before we recorded the the first album, I was out doing those songs in shows, and I was and no one who who I was. But we were booking dates, and I was out, you know, and you knew right away from the audience if they liked the song or not. Right. And when it didn't work, they didn't get cut uh, or they got changed. And I still have that philosophy, really. You only know if you start to perform it in front of people, which is, you know, people, you know, you have to be subtle about it. You can't do like, you know, seven new songs, you know, and a retro show. They're like boring. But you can pop two or three in. And right now I have a new single called Can't Stop Falling. And, you know, it's pop song, but it's got a little bit of an edge to it. And I'm really excited. It's getting great, great response, of course, from the fans. But also, I mean, I just, you know, kind of threw it out when I was in England. I wanted to have something new. And being on the road, I was like, I need more up-tempo, but I don't want dance stuff. And The Color of Silence, that album particularly, was kind of like, you know, a turning point for me. And I wanted to kind of go and back to that and connect because, I mean, that's there's some strong songs on that album like Butterfly that would be perfect with songs like History. So I'm connecting the dots a little bit. And it's uh, I think it's, you know, really making my shows stronger. As you're on the road currently, are, are there any... Um... Any trends or anything you're finding now that you think you might want to use, you know, for your next album or going forward? Well, I mean, I mean, I'm around, again, a lot of great musicians. So just being with my band members, you know, and hearing them write songs on the road for their projects, um, you know, being around a lot of guitar players and just hearing cool licks and cool, like a cool guitar sound. I mean, I'm not a player, but I'm like that, that kind of grungy, like angry thing <laughs> i like that <laughs> let's do that when you, um, when you hear it you know when i hear it i know yeah and i know when i can't there's a lot of things i'd love to do but it would be too much for me we're not gonna know? have a kendrick lamar feature on no on song. <laughs> <laughs> you know i mean i kind of know what my fans want um and i can push it a little bit and they're very they're very open you know and they trust me um and they get it as long as it's real and I'm having fun, I think they'll go. You know, if it's if it's not real and it's made up, um, then they're not going to buy it. And, and I'm not going to be happy, let's be honest. So I really do do, you know, I, I try to record and work on things that I'm like, this is the next progression for me. This is what I'm listening to. This is what I love. Um, and, and then go in and find, you know, writing with different writers from L.A. to New York, to in March, I will be going back to the UK and working with producers there and writers and and some other people who have thrown out their names to want to write with me and do some things, which are their artists, and I'm excited about that. Okay, you can't, can't share who it is? is well. It, okay. Come on. <laughs> well, I'd love, to, I'd love to do something with Carol Decker um, from Tapau. Right. And she's we've been in friends for a while. She's a redhead. But her voice <laughs> is... Amazing. Her range is, is great. So I try to work with artists that um, I think will complement each other. You know, I mean, there's there's other artists now that are releasing singles that just got signed in Nashville that I probably will do something with as well. Um, but, you know, let's face it. I think they're going to be successful. They're going to be busy. But, you know, I've worked with other artists before 
for the name factor. And, you know, it, the, if, the, if the vocals don't blend, it's not going to work. Um, you know, uh, Tommy Page, he and I did a song together, and our vocals worked, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm so bummed because we were actually going to go in the studio and start writing some stuff together really? for an Asian tour. So we kind of got cut short on that. Um, and that, that's, that'll forever, of course, I'm missing a dear friend, but also I wanted that experience again because I think our fans would have loved it. But also just writing with him, it was always a great experience. And our voices blended so well together. You know, I always enjoyed singing with him. All right, we've uh, we've given you an assignment, Tiffany. We gave you homework before you came here because we're charts, we're Billboard. Yes, we wanted you to uh, to have the chance to make the charts. Why should we have all the fun? <laughs> the all Tiffany top five. Yes, this is you getting to chart your five favorite songs that you've recorded. And we gotta go. We gotta go five to one. Right. So we can't, you know. Okay. Can't five give away to the one. big one. My all time favorite songs that I've recorded. Okay. Um, here in my heart, Diane Warren song. Um, love that. Love the video. It was the first time I did like the big budget video in Paris, and I thought I was fancy pants. Let me tell you. <laughs> so I love that song. I love singing that song, and again, it was something that shows my range. So. That was kind of the one song on the new Inside album that maybe was the bridge to your previous sound because the rest of it was a little bit more kind of new jack swing early 90s yes. that that really yes. still showed your vocals that song that song i mean to have a diane warren song anyway is like yeah i'm a big fan um and and just i recorded that album here in new york so that was like a first time experience for me and um and that that song is just magical i mean there is it's it's heart-wrenching you know um so, I mean, now even when I sing that song, it's like I'm so proud of it. You know, it is really – it's a hard song to sing. It's not an easy – It's a high vocal. It's a high yeah. vocal. There's days I'm like, woo, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it, you know. Um, well, it starts high and then it goes really low, so it's a real range. It's a right? big range. It really is. Um, but, I, again, I think that it was all of it, having a Diane Warren song, recording it in New York um, – going to Paris and doing the video there. Um, you know, I mean, I think we're alone now and all the other songs that was just on the fly with a handheld camera and kind of like, you know, I didn't really, I didn't get storyboards. I didn't get stylist. Uh, so, you know, that album itself was kind of the big budget rollout, you know, but it's kind of cool to have that. I'm not going to say it's, it's not, you know, you really feel like I've made it, you know, um, and to have hair and makeup and wardrobe was needed, I will say, first. But it was nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good job. Keep going. Number four. Oh, number four. And tell me, did you know?
Number four would probably be If Only, um, because I wrote that about my bodyguard, um, who became like my brother um, and my son's godfather, and he passed away from cancer. So again, another person that I thought was always going to be in my life, uh, and I wanted to really write a song about, you know, how heart-wrenching it was to lose somebody, how unexpected. And there was really a time, um, even though it was you know, totally platonic. I mean, that we weren't, we never messed around this or anything like the that. bodyguard film. <laughs> no, it wasn't. We didn't fall in love. It was a brother and sister love, and he was really there to protect my life. You know, he was on the road with me, and he, and he would have. But when he passed away, it was the only time that I ever felt like, I don't, I don't know if I want to go on without this person, you know? I mean, I would never harm myself, but it really scared me. Um, because he was so, you know, he's my son's godfather and, and he was my counsel, my friend, my bestie, everything. Um, and I felt the world felt safer with him around me. Um, and so it really, it kind of took me back a little bit. And I think that's what, you know, if only is about it. It's, I mean, it starts off very dark, um, you know, about somebody contemplating taking their life. Um, which was not my headspace at the time, but you know that's probably the, one of the darkest lyrics that I've ever written. Um, you know, and I kind of even question putting that out there. But you know, I've had so many compliments on that song that it's actually been healing. It's actually done the opposite. So, and that was my intention. Hopefully, you know, you know, you got a lot of power when you're a songwriter. You have to be careful, but you also have to write the truth, whatever that is, at the time. Nice. Keep going. You're, you're good at this. Yeah. You're good at this. I, um, oh, number three. Let's see. What did I have for number three? Um, I think I had. It's Definitely, it's the lover, not the love. You were just making fun of that song. Well, I wasn't making fun of it. I said it was too much too soon. All right. Um, Now, you know, I love that song. And again, it's that, you know, here we go. They're all ballads that I'm picking because they show that I can sing. But it's the lover, not the love is your classic, you know, you've been burnt. But, you know, that's one person in your life. It's you are capable of loving, you know, don't be afraid to jump back out there. But I think a lot of people close themselves off. So I've always thought that song, I didn't, I didn't write that song, but um, I identify with it, you know, because I mean, I haven't dated that much. I've been married, you know, twice. Um, But yeah, after your first divorce, you're like, "Mm, I don't know if I want to do this again, you know, and I'm glad that I didn't get burnt out, you know, about six months later. I ended up meeting this wonderful man who I've been married to now for 14 years. But it was easy at the time before I met him to go, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm independent. I don't really need to do this. Like, you know, I'll just do my music. And I had a bad attitude. So I'm, I'm glad. And I identify with that song. That's how you record a song when you're so young. And then years later, it can mean so much, it's such a different way years yeah, later. totally. Um, so it was, you know, like I said, Singing it to 16-year-olds, they were like, what? <laughs> Singing it to 40-year-olds, they're in tears. <laughs> oh, no. 
Number two would probably be Christening. I really like that song a lot, um, and I've, I like where I'm at with that song now. I've reworked that song, so we've added a lot more edge to it. Uh, I did a dance mix off of that song. I love the video of that song. Um, but it also, you know, that guitar at the end, that rocking guitar, I think, again, that's not what you expect from Tiffany. Right. So... You know, for me, that was that was something I really wanted to to record, um, and it turned the corner for me a little bit. Um, so yeah, I'm very proud of that song. Yeah, I remember last year saying how uh, at one of the '80s shows in New York, you were covering Guns N' Roses, and people don't know <clears throat> the the strength of your vocals. Maybe no, they, they do, don't. But um, to do a song like that, and they don't know I'm a rocker, so they go, "You do Guns N' Roses? What?" And I'm like, and then I come out and and I which, ho- which hopefully nail it. it. Sweet child. Oh, okay. Yeah. And people are like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I love these little surprises. I mean, I really do. And hopefully that's what happens. I mean, you you know, you go out to show off your best. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I, Sweet Child, doing Sweet Child songs like Butterfly, Christening, um, and a lot of the stuff that I'm writing now, you know, I'm surrounded with a lot of different people in my life. Um, and I somehow managed to, you know, cross paths with a lot of people in the rock scene. And they're just like, why aren't you doing rock music? I'm like, well, it's just not what I need to be doing. You know, I would have loved to have done it, you know, but it just didn't happen. But it's nice that you're paying attention. And it's nice that you just gave me that compliment. It's nice that you think I could do it. You know, I'll take that and walk away with a big smile on my face. And, you know, and and I and I it would be great to like get up and jam with a bunch of different people eventually, you know. So who knows what's around the corner? I do have some tricks up my in my sleeve a little bit, um, but just to be acknowledged again that you know I do have the chops that can hold that, right? Um, and the attitude a little bit. <laughs> I'm picturing like like either like like somebody's rock hall induction or like one of those like Grammy mashups like that you, you know <laughs> kind of like. That would be oh yeah that would totally. be sick. I mean, totally. I'd love to be you know called to do something like that where I come out and they're just like, you know, I could see the faces at first like what? Yeah, uh, oh, but she, she wandered on during the wrong set. Yeah, but I mean, you know, wow. So yeah, I'd love the opportunity to do that kind of stuff. I mean, my ultimate favorite song that I've ever recorded is "Could Have Been." You can That's my favorite. Number one. Number one. Number one with the number one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, you know, again, from hearing that song the first time to to even, you know, growing up and, and you know, feeling that way, um, you know, feeling that that person was right for you and it just didn't work out, um, to becoming really good friends with Lois Blaish, the songwriter of that song, Um I was 14 when I recorded it. I was around all these great songwriters from my first and second albums. But I was a kid. 
Nobody hung out with me. So now to be an adult, sit down and have a glass of wine and talk shop with these people, and that they're the fact that they're still in my life, right. they come to my shows, um, and they're they're still doing their careers. You know, is who gets that right? I mean, I, you know, who would have thought that they would be become my friends later on in life? Um, but Kudamin is my ultimate all time favorite. You know, it's it's done. Believe it or not, we've actually done it on an acoustic guitar. Um, which it was not, it's not an acoustic, it's not a guitar song, but we've, we've kind of, we have to work around it a little bit, but it is amazing. Um, and, but, or just sitting with a piano, you know, and just stripping it down like that. But there's just, those notes aren't easy either, but I have them in the bag <laughs> and right. I'm very, very grateful. <laughs> what was that? When, you know? when I saw you last year, I think you started doing that song and halfway through, it was something off with the instrument. You just started over. You didn't oh, care. Yeah. You're like, I'll just, I'm like, well, it's start again. Live. It's real. Or I don't, you know, that's one song actually. I'm like, that's fine. You don't have to play. I know the song. We're good. Um, and it's actually sometimes magical like that. Again, just, you know, I keep using that word because it is like, you know, it, there's just this great vibe around that song. Um, and I think people, again, can identify from when, you know, you're a kid to, again, being older to a guy or a girl. You know, it just it kind of breaks down all the barriers a little bit. Um, so it really is my favorite song that I recorded. And I love that I recorded that. The actual recording of that was done in one take. So I'm very proud of that as well. <laughs> and what I heard that uh, Dolly Parton turned like everyone turned it down. Right? Yeah, a lot of people turned that song down. I mean, let's face it, that truly is a country song, um, and that's probably another reason why I love it is because yes, it's a pop single, but the base of that song is still country. Um, so you know, for me, that you know that was like the best thing um i'd love for other people to record it now i mean even though i'm not the writer on that song i think it still has a life and i think it could be redone um you know carrie underwood singing on american idol and she did an amazing job with it so i was you know called i didn't get to see it i saw it later but um you know i had so many messages on my cell phone girl <laughs> carrie underwood singing your song um you know and and again i was like good choice because it's a beautiful song good job on the countdown too. well thank you Honorary Billboard Chart Department member. <laughs> oh, we got, we got to get you a paycheck and oh, sign well, you up. I'm, I'm told, I'll come to New York anytime, guys. <laughs> well, thank you so much. This is great. Thank you for just sharing your story and your five favorite songs of yours. Well, thank you. And I hope, you know, I hope people like those five favorite songs, you know. Um, yeah. And I'm doing, they're all songs that I'm currently doing in my show. So come out and check them out. You're welcome back here anytime. Well, thank you. Thanks, guys. New Tiffany music on the Billboard Sharpie podcast that's Can't Stop Falling. That was really fun chatting with Tiffany. We talked for a while, but she uh, really cool to hear all these uh, thoughts about her career. And I like the line how she said, uh, I've got another 30 years in me. So she's she's just the beginning. Yeah, it's crazy for people, I think, who, you know, I mean, Tiffany's only, you know, in her 40s. I right? mean, this is people would think, you know, oh, she was popped 30 years ago, so she must be, you know, just... 
you know, on the on this on the traveling circuit at this point. And it's like, no, she's still, you know, I mean, she's still the same age as people like, you know, Mariah and I mean, like plenty of people who are still, you know, actively out there putting out new music every, you know, every couple of years. Right. All right, next time I got to talk to her about Nashville. I was going to say, were you to be, je- yeah, that seems to be jealous? the connect. You made that connection very early on. Talking about Nashville, talking about shopping. So, Gary, uh, next time, Gary, Gary, got booking some weekend trips to Nashville to get a little, little hooked in the culture. Do a little, little research for next time. So uh, Tiffany, and as we said uh, last week, uh, before uh, we uh, ended last week's show. We have Tiffany on. We got to have Debbie Gibson on too. So she's going to join us next week because she's celebrating uh, her 30th anniversary in the charts. It was 30 years ago that uh, Only in My Dreams is going to be in the top 20 on the Hot 100. Uh, her debut album, Out of the Blue, was released and debuted on the Billboard 200. So next week, it's Debbie Gibson on the podcast. And we'll go from number 20 to number one. We will. So watch out, Debhead, and be sure to tune in for that one. Oh, you've done your research. You know, they're Debheads. Yeah, I, the original fan army, I guess, in a lot of ways. Uh, so that is coming up next week. We'll continue on. We'll uh, get to the number one song this week, 30 years ago, 1987. Until then, what should we close with this week, Trevor? Oh, this week. Oh, man. Tough choices. Um, I think, you know, there, there are a few names on the, on, on the 80s podcast that I think we haven't quite been able to touch. I know Madonna was one that we saw a little while ago. Um I'm going to throw it to to a guy who we briefly mentioned uh, way back when we talked about Natalie Cole, who didn't quite get his due and unfortunately won't get his due on this particular chart. That is the one and only, the boss, Bruce Springsteen. Uh, so I think we should close with the Bruce Springsteen pinned, but Natalie Cole recorded ah. version of Pink Cadillac. And this will be a little preview for at some point we're going to do a 1988 countdown too. Are, are we? I think we should. All right. In the meantime, uh, we'll have... Uh, Bruce slash Natalie, uh, take it away. Vroom, vroom. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.